I'm Dave Aldridge, this is Deeper Sensile, it's Friday night, so this is basically just one big anchorite loving. There might be some RPG discussion thrown in there along the way. I do love to get the messages, do please keep them coming. Out the door, hold the door. Yeah, I've got a bit of time to myself tonight. The wife's out at the cinema watching the Elton John movie with a friend. I gave that one a pass. I may come to regret that later on. I don't think I will. Um, I wasn't massively inspired by that. Hanging out with Eddie. Uh, there's an angry blue bottle buzzing around in here as well. Kids are all in bed. So I'm going to spend some time catching up on some messages. That I've had but try not to do too much I must admit the podcasts that I like listening to most are the nice fairly regular short and sweet ones and I've been doing some epic rambles recently lots of things I wanted to get off my chest and I'm going to try and resist that tonight and just sort of tie off a few threads uh, it's Friday night yeah the big news of the day is in the early evening, couple of hours, I've had a couple of hours playing the, the Dungeon Mayhem card game. I picked it up on Amazon because it was cheap. It was on offer. I must have looked at it at some point. I got a notification saying it was cheap. I hadn't really heard any reviews of it. But my daughter, she's five. We went on a holiday quite recently and she fell in love with Uno. She was all over Uno. She was beating us. She was loving it. Um, and I've been out after other card games that soar to the same level of complexity. I mean, Uno, you pretty much, you pretty much know what you're supposed to be doing at any particular point. And Dungeon Mayhem is sort of only slightly more complicated than Uno, I would say. It's got a few little extra elements that keep me a bit more interested. You've got hit point tracking. You've got a few sort of few more significant choices you can make. Anyway, cut a long story short, she's been all over it. She loves it. Middle son loves it as well. We've had a good couple of hours. So, yeah, with younger players, I don't think it's got terrible, terribly much depth to it. Um, but we've had a good time. We'll definitely be getting it out again over the weekend. So that's been good. Hey, what's up, Dave? It's Joe, man. I'm out walking around myself, uh, listening to your uh, show, man. That was another great episode. I freaking love Numenera. I haven't got to play it or run it nearly enough, nearly as much as I want, but I think it's a fantastic system. Uh, and I feel you about not using the random tables in actual during the game. I can't anymore. Uh, <clears throat> my vision just doesn't allow me to use those in any sort of timely fashion. So I got to use them all when I'm prepping and stuff, but they are rife with inspiration and ideas, man. So keep up the awesome work. You're doing fantastic. Have a good day. And I hope your day is as beautiful as mine is, man. Peace out. Thanks, Joe. Glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, it's... We're not quite there yet. I can't quite say that it's a balmy evening. It's definitely not sultry. Um, but we're getting there. We are getting there over here. 
thank you so much for your support. Joe's been there from the start with this podca- podcast, one of the very early voices of encouragement. I really do appreciate it. Joe, I should say, runs the Wheel or Woe podcast, not on Anchor. Wheel, yes, W-E-A-L. That took me a while. I thought, oh, God, where is this podcast? It doesn't exist. Try <laughs> to search various other kinds of wheels. I should also say, oh, it is a riot, but it is not one to play over the Bluetooth speaker at breakfast time with the kids around. You have been warned. <laughs> I do love me dice sound. I've realised, having been on Anchor for a couple of weeks now, that it's maybe not as original as I thought it was. It's possible, I suppose, when I use it to break up these very short bits, that it's even a little bit irritating. Wow, what an episode. Uh, what's a nice antonym for laconic? Uh, loquacious, voluble, I'm going to go with fluent, and uh, mistaking misappropriation for malapropism, well, that's some next level stuff right there, my friend, a fine job, sir, a fine job. Bless you, Spencer. Spencer there, free thrall from Keep Off The Borderlands. Thanks for your comments. What can I say? We aim to please. Hey Dave, I uh, fully support your decision to carry on your overview of old school essentials without going back and looking at the, um, the 81 BX Dungeons & Dragons. For me, I think if you had done that, that would have would have spoiled it a little bit. I, I really enjoyed hearing what you had to say. So, um, yeah, I look forward to what you do with it going forwards. And regarding the thief subsystems and, and some of that stuff like saving throws, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. I mean, that's why I like the black hack and... I've got a recent episode ranting uh, about old BX Thieves. And in fact, Gavin Norman himself, some time back, came up with different rules for rogues in your BX game. Thanks, Colin. Yeah, I thought I'd, I thought I'd do part two. So I've been looking at the another another one of the modules. I've been looking at the classic fantasy genre rules which is basically the classes and the equipment list um, but I don't have so much to say about this I mean the thing I'm most excited about with this is just the possibility of there being other such sets of genre rules uh, where they're going to go so yeah and I, I like that kind of modular modular way that this is being presented so I like I like the possibility that there might be other genre rules what do I have to say about the class I mean firstly I am not massively inspired by equipment lists you know you just want a hand where I just want to hand wave all of that I cannot be doing with players wanting the prices of things or wanting to you know make shopping lists and go to the go to the store 
Um, so I, I like the more, the lighter way that these are dealt with, with some of the newer OSR designs. So the Black Hack's got a lovely thing where you, you just decide whether weapons are common or exotic or whatever and you've basically got three price boundaries and once you've assigned the equipment to the price boundary you roll the cost and then you record that so that you're consistent with it later on that just seems to me as much as you need to do with equipment i understand people like to have these big long price lists and these details of all the kit but i really like to hand wave all of that looking at the classes yeah so this is this is more familiar. All of this does ring a bell. Um, I suppose more of a comment is a question, really, a question to the community. I just think when I look over these, yeah, there's fun stuff for clerics to do. There's some fun stuff for elves. Obviously, your, your magic users have got plenty to do. Are oh, fighters, I mean, fighters get a much higher attack bonus. Are fighters that much fun to play? I suppose is my question. Again, with the newer games, they get a little bit more, at least if they get multiple attacks. I think the combat where they're supposed to be shining is just a bit more interesting. Or something like in Dungeon Crawl Classics, the stunt die. The stunt die in Dungeon Crawl Classics, I may say more about that later on, depending on how many of these messages I get through. But the stunt die in Dungeon Crawl Classics makes the fighter there... One of them, you know, it's, it's it's one of the two most fun tweaks in the system. It makes the fighter really fun to play, a really viable option. I just kind of think here, are fighters a bit boring? You know, don't you want a bit more than just being able to stand at the front and absorb attacks? Uh, I don't know if people have got experiences with play. I mean, obviously, you can role play anything. You can have fun with anything. Fighters are going to survive, so they can, or they're more likely to survive, so they can get stuck in in the fights. That's just my, that's that's the only real significant thought I've got. Looking at this with sort of vaguely fresh eyes, someone who isn't familiar with the system, I just, you know, it'd be nice if they had a few more tweaks, I suppose. Be keen to hear what people think about that. I know these are discussions that people have had before, um, but I'd be interested. Hi Dave, Arfed here. Um, as I've been listening to your podcast, it has made me think more and more about random tables and how much you enjoy them. Um, I've been looking at them as um, a help or guidance for GMs to give them inspiration and yeah, just keep their sort of campaign world growing and making adventures. They use them in character creation, things like that. But I was thinking... Are there any games where the players actually use more random tables during gameplay or as a mechanic? So when they get into a situation, they can take the safe option or they can use this random table. It could go particularly badly, but it could also go particularly well. I just wondered if there's game systems out there you've come across where random tables are used more during the game and more from a player side. I thought that would be quite interesting to hear if you've got any thoughts on that. Thanks. Well, yeah, thanks for that, our fairly interesting question. So this, I, I include this on here. This is a question to go out to the, to the listeners, really. What, what, you know, what can people offer here? Off the top of my head, and I may think of, 
I may think of things that do more justice to the question that you're asking in in time. But the but the thing that leapt into my head when you said that, which I have mentioned a bit before, um, and I you may well be familiar with this, but um, I did think of Dungeon Crawl Classics, um, because of course the that is a book. Oh, if there's one OSR product that's worth having having in your hands rather than on PDF, the Dungeon Crawl Classics core book, I think that is it to me. That has a uh, an elevated place on my my shelf it's an object of veneration to me that book but it's a great huge doorstop and of course only a tiny part of it is rules the majority of the book is the spells and i think the spells i, I mean that pretty much is a player facing table system and some of those spells have got double page spread descriptions more uh, they're brilliant so you don't just so yeah you, you you make an attribute roll there's all kinds of ways in dungeon crawl classics that you can get breaks on that roll you can do horrible things to yourself um you know drain your attributes spell burn i think it's called yeah to get to get bonuses on the roll um but then they've spent some time and some space determining multiple different scaled effects for every single spell in the game. Just paragraph after paragraph um, of effects linked to how high the character... Obviously, the character rolls really low, then they lose the spell or something worse can happen. Um, but as they roll higher, they get increasingly more powerful and interesting effects from the spells. And that's something I was quite daunted about when I first started playing the game, until I realised, of course, what you do when the players get the spells, you know, they're going to need a copy of the spell description, then you don't have to worry about it. So it's another one of those bits of, you know, it's, 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 it's really lots of fun. Nothing doesn't get more crunchier than having to go to a different table for every single spell you cast. But of course you can leave that over to the players. They can do that themselves. They can tell you what the description says, for what they've rolled, and you can um, you can respond to it as the GM. So I think that that's an example of some real fun the players that can have. You know, casting a spell in... Dungeon Crawl Classics is a potentially session transforming experience. I mean, that's the, that's been my experience playing the game. That you know, you think things are going to go one way, and then one character casts a spell, and all of a sudden you're having to deal with the fallout of what they've rolled on their table. And I think that's a riot. That's really good. That's really good fun. So the spell tables in Dungeon Crawl Classics, I think, are well worth having a look at. Um, you're probably familiar with them already. Um, and having mentioned Dungeon Crawl Classics, I mentioned this in my response to Colin as well, there is, of course, the fighter's stunt die as well. Now, there are in the book, there are lots of example tables for the stunt die. The example of the, the idea of the stunt die in Dungeon Crawl Classics, people who aren't familiar with it, is that your, your fighter rolls a die. The die size increases as the fighter increases in experience, but rolls a die alongside. Um, that will give, whenever the fighter attacks, that will give a... Um, a variable bonus to attack and damage um, but also the fighter can declare an intended stunt whenever they attack and you know as the die gets bigger they can get better effects you consult a table I think it starts off as a d3 and you know 
A three might give you some kind of limited effect, but as your die gets bigger, higher rolls will get you better effects. And then the book has got lots of examples, um, but they're not intended to be restrictive. Pretty much anything the, the player wants their character to have a go at, you should be able to improvise off the back of those tables. And the higher they roll, the better they're going to they're gonna be at those stunts. I, as I said in my response to Colin, that just makes that makes fighters so much to play so much fun to play i really enjoy that so that's not so much tables that the the players themselves can pour over because as i say the, the tables aren't really exhaustive um but i still think it's just a way of getting a little bit more out of the die roll and i do really enjoy that oh another fun thing in dundrical classics is the i think it's called the mercurial spell effect table Forgive me if I misremember, I haven't got this in front of me at the moment, but the first time a character casts a spell, you roll on this table, and this table represents the fact that no two casters cast any spell the same way. So you roll on this table, I think it's modified by your luck, um, and that determines higher is better, it's a percentile roll, and that determines some additional extra effect that kicks in or some trapping that kicks in when you cast the spell and that's just lovely and again I, th- I, th- I can't remember what the intention is but I certainly asked players to roll that in play the first time the spell was cast so you didn't know what their trapping was going to be what trapping this spell was going to be stuck with and the bottom half of the table some of these are pretty <laughs> pretty annoying what trapping they were going to be stuck with for the you know for the rest of the life of that character, which mercifully was often short. Um, one thing, I mean, in the first session we managed to roll the same result a couple of times um, because you can see how this works. But yeah, yeah, when you're trying to make judgments on the fly, you don't realise what you're doing wrong. Um, but because a character had a negative modifier. And uh, I was counting anything that went lower than zero once you'd rolled the D percentile and applied the modifier. I was just counting that as zero. That meant the zero entry on the table it was more likely to come up. And it did. It came up twice. And from memory, and I'm not checking in the book, but from memory, the zero entry on the table is whenever this spell, <laughs> whenever this spell is cast, someone nearby who is known to the caster, something like that, someone new, nearby who is known to the caster dies. <laughs> This was, this was amazing. This, this, this made for some great results in the session. But of course, you know, we, we realised something was broken the second time. The second time the player... Excuse me, the dog. I mean, shortly after we, we resolved, of course, that if you, if you roll below zero, your modified result on that table, then we'd be... We'd be re-rolling. We wouldn't be counting it as zero. But that first session with this lethal, <laughs> lethal spellcaster was was really good fun. Um, the other thing, yeah, I mentioned Numenera again because I, I kind of think the ciphers in Numenera, they, they, they are there for the players. That, that, that really is. The, that, that randomly, randomly rolled cipher table in Numenera, I think, is absolutely core to the experience you know you're basically handing over to the dice the ways in which um, your players are going to be able to uh, 
completely break or avoid any paths, plans or experiences you might have you might have laid out for them. Um, so, yeah, I, d- I don't think that really answers your question, Arfed. And so, yeah, I'll just put that out to listeners, really, as I, as I wind up looking at the time. Um, what do we think? What 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 examples are there out there of of random tables which are which are much more player facing uh, as usual you can leave a message on the anchor app get in touch with me on on twitter or email those details are in the show notes um and yeah thanks for all the comments it's been really fun engaging with people and i look forward to uh talking again soon goodbye